0: But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy.
1: Well, I want to welcome all of our Atlanta-area churches as well as all of our network of churches around the country, across the world. It's really a humbling thing to be able to join with such an amazing group of people week after week. I hope your your morning has gotten off to a great start already. We've had a great morning of worship as we're jumping in today, and I'm excited to continue in our current series. I want to begin with a question. And here's the question I want to begin with. Have you ever seen an injustice in the world and you thought to yourself, why doesn't God do something about fill in the blank? Why doesn't God, you you, you see something, you think, why doesn't God do something about that? We usually wonder this when we look around and we see something that seems absurd or or it definitely seems not right. Like, why in the world uh, is the only thing our two political parties can agree on is borrowing more money? Like, why is that? Like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, we, we need to borrow more money so we can pay the interest on the money that we already owe. I mean, it's, it's like, it's absurd. But, but I'm not just talking about things like that. I'm talking about things that, that like, really seem wrong. Like, that's a first-world problem. But, like, when you look in, in the world and you wonder, like, you, you think about God's goodness and his, his mercy. And you think, why would a good, merciful, just God allow natural disasters Pandemic disease, genocide, the, the tyranny that we see in the Ukraine and th- things like, of that nature. And, and maybe they're not just far away things. Maybe in your world, maybe somebody you know, maybe somebody you love ha- has been a victim of injustice. And, and maybe they're large injustices or small injustices, but you see these things and you're like, where's God in all of that? And my, one of my huge ones is when I see people getting away with mistreating or abusing children, and I, I think most of us can agree on that one. It's like I just wonder. I'm like, okay, God, like, where are you in this? Why would an all powerful, all good God? Why won't? Why wouldn't He do something? And our real question is, why doesn't He do something now? Like, I don't want Him to wait. Like, it's like, okay, they're gonna get what's coming. I'm not. I'm not okay with that. Why don't you do something? Could you? intervene and do something right now. And, and the truth is, is this is the reason many people have a difficult, difficult time believing in the God of the Bible, or, or, or a lot of people walk away from, or at least reevaluate their faith. And maybe that's you. Today, we're continuing uh, our series, uh, The Fundamentalist, and, and if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about recovering the essentials of our faith, and what we're attempting, the question we're attempting to answer is, what, what is the bare minimum? What are, what are the core things that you can't be or you can't do without to be a Christian, the way uh, Christian was defined in the first century? Like, we've been, we've been asked the question, like, what's essential What's indispensable? What's central to what we believe? If you want to be a follower, not, not just a believer in Jesus, but what do you have to believe in order to actually be a follower of Jesus and, and be considered a Christian? What's, what's essential? And, and then what, what's peripheral? What, what's not central? What's what's sort of debatable? What are the things that are cultural? Maybe the things that are heretical. Maybe the things that are definitely not fundamental that that need to be left behind because there's a lot of people in our world right now that are deconstructing, as Andy said a couple of weeks ago. Um, he said that when, when what's peripheral um, or, or debatable or cultural, when that becomes central, the Christian faith for a lot of people becomes untenable. And it becomes something that that that... that it becomes like a burden that's pressed on them that they can't bear anymore. And they're just like, if if I have to take on all of those things because all these things just keep getting layered on to what it is to be a follower of Jesus or to be a Christian. If all those things are getting layered on, I just can't do it anymore. And we want to shed those things and walk away from it. So far in the fundamental list, uh, we, we have a, a list of three things. We're uh, three parts in, today is part four, uh, and the very first one is, we said is, is central to all the other things. In fact, it's a reference point for everything else, and that is that Jesus is God's son and our king. And interestingly enough, this is the only thing Christians have agreed upon since really the time of Jesus. I mean, all, a lot of the other things have been, been debated, but this is, this is central. This is the, the core essential, the, essential to our faith that, that God sent his son in the, into the world. And he sent him to be our king, to be our leader, to be our ruler, to be the one that we surrender our lives to and to follow. In part two, we talked about the fact that Jesus, when he came, he came to illustrate and demonstrate what God's like. And this is really important because you, you look around and, and, and you, you hear some stories and you hear people represent God. And you look at Christians in the world and you go, what is God like? And, and there's lots of representations. But the scripture says, in fact, Jesus said about himself, you want to know what the father's like. You look at me. You look at the son. Well, that was in part two, and then the last time we were together, Jesus uh, defined sin. Number three, Jesus defined sin as anything that harms you or others, and Jesus talked a lot about sin, and, and a lot of times uh, we, we, we get accused of sin, or people get shamed or judged, and we're going to talk a little bit about this today, for, for sinning, but Jesus was really specific about his definition of sin. And sin is anything that you do that's harmful to you, which is why he's given us the instruction he has, or harmful to other people. And following the way of Jesus is never going to be harmful to you or to the people around you. Well, a couple of months ago, Andy came to me and he said, hey, listen, I thought it would be fun for you to participate with me in this series. And I was like, I'm in. And he said, great, you take the reality of heaven, hell, and the final judgment. And I was like, that doesn't sound like so much fun to me anymore. Like... I don't know why you thought that was fun. Maybe that's fun for you. It doesn't sound so fun for me, but here we are. And so we're going to go for it, if you're all right with that today. If you're not, too bad. We're going for it anyway. Um, but it's related, it's related to this question here. Why, why doesn't God do something about the injustice in the world, or the things that are, that are not right in the world. And this, this question, it reveals something that's universal. It's a universal innate desire in all of us, the universal or innate desire for judgment and justice. You've seen this. We've seen this recently in our world. Diverse groups of people are powerfully united, for better or for worse, around things they're convinced are not right when we see things that are not right in the world, and you can rally around people around this. I mean, this is one of the most powerful unifiers in our world. When you see things that are not right, it's easy to get a group of people rallied around that and against things. It's, it's, you've seen this. It's easier to rally people against things than it is even to rally people for things. But where does that come from? Well, why do we care? And, and isn't it, isn't it true, and we don't think about this this often, but you're an above-average audience, so I, I want to I challenge you today. When, when you see something that's not right or to know something that's not right, assume the standard of something that is right. I mean, if you know something is not right, you're, you're simultaneously claiming to know that there's something that is right. You, you're claiming to know that there's some sort of ideal that, that's that this thing that you're judging is falling short of. And whether we agree or disagree on what the ideal is or where it comes from, it doesn't matter. Logical deduction says that we believe that one exists, And, and that's true for all of us because we all find ourselves judging things at times. And in reality, what we're doing is we're judging something against our version or our view of what the ideal is. And the irony is this is a popular criticism of God oftentimes, Jesus came to illustrate, as we said, uh, and to demonstrate what, what God is like. And sometimes we look at the, 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 the stories of the Old Testament, and, and it seems like what Jesus' illustrates or demonstrates, it's, it's at odds with what we see in the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament. And, and the reason is, is because when God actually decides to do something and deliver his justice, we don't like what he does, or we criticize what he does, or we at least question what he does. And there's so many people who are like, I like Jesus in the New Testament, but I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. And we try to divide these things. I mean, a good example of this is the flood. And some of you don't believe that that happened, but the story of the flood is a a story that represents God in the Old Testament. And it actually, what it represents in the Old Testament, it represents God's judgment. I always have to think when I write judgment, because I want to put an E after the G. Uh, Judgment represents God's judgment. If you think about this, and God's judgment seems harsh. I mean, is there really only one righteous person in the world? I mean, is Noah the only guy? And is it really necessary? Was it really necessary to flood the world and and rid the world of all the other people? I mean, come on. When you think about that, you think, why would a good God do that? But we want God to do something when we see injustice in the world. And, And the thing is, is we want him to do something until he does it to us, right? We, we want God's judgment, but we want it our way. And we want it against other people. We don't necessarily want it against us. Now, here's the amazing thing. The third story in the collection of, of stories uh, in our Bible, at the very beginning of the Scriptures, the third story at the beginning of our Scriptures is about this very thing. And it's the, it's the exact tension that exists when things are not right, Or things are not as they ought to be in the world, and so if you have a Bible, I want to jump into that story. If you don't have a Bible, I've said this a lot of times. We'd love for you to have one. Wherever you are, if you don't have a Bible, you can't afford one. We would love to give you one. We'd love to get you one. Um, But I, I, I think the scriptures are so incredible that it's worth opening up for yourself. If you, if you have a, a smartphone, the Bible app is free. And, and if you have one and you want to follow along, I'd love for you to do that. We will we'll put the words up here on the screen. So really quick context, Genesis chapter one and chapter two, two accounts of creation. One is, is more poetic. The other gives more details of, of the creation story. Genesis chapter three is the famous story of, of the eating of the fruit, the serpent tempts Adam and Eve and, and, and the ideal, if you will, this is sort of the ideal in the beginning. The ideal is lost. The fall of man happens as it's described. And Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, which is this idyllic place that God had created for them. And death enters the world, and now sins enter the world, and things are not completely right. And they leave ashamed. And covering up and hiding from each other and from God. And that's, the, that's just in the three chapters into the story. So we get to chapter 4 and we find out that Adam and Eve are starting their family. And they have two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain's the older one, Abel's the younger one. Genesis chapter 4. The third story in the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, begins this way. Now Abel, he kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So we find out at the very beginning that Abel's a farmer. Or excuse me, Abel's a shepherd and Cain's a farmer. And, and both are doing meaningful work. By the way, work is not a curse of the fall. They, God gave man meaningful work before he wanted him to fill the earth and subdue it, to, to rule over it. And so they're both doing meaningful work by design. And, and Abel is, is a shepherd and Cain's a farmer. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel... He also brought an offering, but he brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So they're both making sacrifices, which is sort of strange at the very beginning, but there's something innate in them that knows that they need to make a sacrifice, which, again, seems like a little bit of a strange thing, but we all do this, don't we? I want you to think about this. In your life, you make sacrifices all the time. You sacrifice in terms of your time, and you sacrifice in terms of your money, and we offer our talents and we leverage our assets towards other things. And when we do this, we do this and we try to sacrifice. And when we try to sacrifice, we try to make the right sacrifices, don't we? You think about this. And this is a daily thing. Sometimes we do this consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But you're trying to sacrifice the right things and make the right decisions for the right reasons. Sacrificing for the right people in the, at the right time. And you're doing this because you want things to go well for you. You want things to go favorably for you. So we, we want to prosper. We want to make the right, the right sacrifices so that we can leverage the, the resources that we have so things that will go well for us. And, and we see in the story that Abel, Abel is making a sacrifice. Now, I, I don't, I don't, you have to kind of read between the lines here, but basically what this means, when, when Abel's giving his first and best to God. He's, he's making God the priority of his life. He, it says that he brought the fat portions, and he brought the the, the first the firstborn of his flock. Abel's basically going, my priority, the, the first and best of mine, I'm going to give first to God. I, I'm going to see God as the priority of my life. And, and Cain, Cain, he makes a different sacrifice. And what Cain does is he just sacrifices sort of his leftovers. And he Fate, Cain actually keeps the first and best for himself, and and in, in many ways um, it's, it's sort of the same same sin as as in the beginning of creation. He's, he sort of decides, no no, i 'm most important. this is this stuff that I have it's for me first, not for God or for others first and, and so th- this is how Cain and Abel decide to make their sacrifices, so the story goes on and, and the Lord the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Of course he did. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, so here it is. This is it. God. Maybe for you, if you're new to faith or new to being a Jesus follower, I want you to think about this as the ideal. If you're not ready to embrace the story in its totality and who God is, in the story, it's God. But the ideal is, is judging their sacrifices and according to God's judgment, the judgment that, that God makes is that Abel's sacrifice is favorable. God, he, he, Abel puts himself in a position where he can be favored by God. And Cain's sacrifice is unfavorable. Which, just side note, and a little bit of a you know, nerdy preacher thing is, I always used to get these guys mixed up, Cain and Abel. But you'll never get them mixed up again because can, uh, Abel had the favor of God. That's why he was favor Abel. I get a little bit of applause on that one. He's he, he's favor So 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 Abel. Things are going to go well for Abel. This is this is he's got God's blessing, and 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 his sacrifices are favorable. And even if you're not a Christian, you still believe that some sacrifices are more favorable than other sacrifices. You make some sacrifices that are unfavorable and you sacrifice the wrong things and things don't go well for you. And other times you sacrifice the right things and they go well for you. So obviously Cain, he doesn't like this. He, he, Cain gets very angry and his face is downcast, which is precisely what happens when you get judged, isn't it? When we feel judged, we, oftentimes we feel shame and we feel embarrassment when, when somebody calls us out. But but that's vulnerable, and we don't let we don't want to seem vulnerable, especially when we're being judged, because that feels weak. And so with the, the the corresponding emotion that's unvulnerable is anger. And so we that that shame or embarrassment it often presents itself as resentment. And so this is what's happening with Cain is is he he's angry, and his face is downcast, and he doesn't want to look up towards God. He he doesn't want to relate to God and, and the Lord. He he comes to Cain, and and he said, Why are you angry? And, and why is your face downcast? Which, you know, again, this is, this is a strange thing. It, it, it's, this, isn't, this isn't normal, but, but his, he's angry and he's downcast because he's being judged. That's exa- exactly what happens when we're judged. And, and so, so Cain, he, he feels angry and he feels downcast. And, and God comes to him and he says, look, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And, and if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. He, he involves this idea of sin. If you do what's right, your, your, your sacrifice will be accepted, things will go well for you. But if you do not do what is right, sin's crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's sort of like this is what God's response is. It's like, I mean, okay, Cain, duh. I mean, what'd you think was going to happen? I mean, if you make the right sacrifices, and we know this, things go typically go f- fairly well, as well as they can go in a, in a broken and, and difficult world, but things go typically well. But if not, if you don't make the right sacrifices, if you don't live in the right way, like you invite the consequences to your doorstep, is what he's saying. Like sins comes crouching at your doorstep. And, and here's the thing, these things will catch up with you Eventually. They're at your doorstep, and you've invited them there because of the choices that you've made. Now, this is, this is so important. This is, uh, there's sort of a subplot within the story. Cain's not just angry with God, and his face is not just downcast because of God. The sacrifice of his younger brother is judging him. The way his younger brother is living, the way Abel is living, is a tangible representation of the ideal, of the ideal way you should live and the choices that you should make and the decisions and the right sacrifices. And whether you believe these are two real people and this story happened or not, it doesn't even matter because the story is exactly right. I believe the story because Jesus affirms it, but the human experience confirms it. Think think about this. When, When your wife raves about how wonderful her friend's husband is, and he is, by the way, or, or when your kids talk about how great their friend's parents are, and they are, or when your boss highlights how, how competent your coworker is, and they are, you feel simultaneously, it says how insufficient, incompetent, or lame you are. And you may be, by the way, but, but it, this is how you feel, right? Isn't it? I mean, this, this is how you feel. Either way, we feel judged, And it doesn't feel good. And there's two options. The first option is we can be inspired by that. We can be inspired by the comparison that that we sometimes think is unfair and 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 it's, it's something that shouldn't be made. But we can either, you know, be mad about that and be angry about that and feel judged about that, or we can decide to be inspired and reach towards the ideal and stretch the best we can, or we can do what Cain does. Cain said to his brother Abel, he said, let's go out in the field. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel. And he killed him. See, you can either stretch towards the ideal or you can try and rid it from your life. And and the Lord said to Cain, he said, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? And some of you didn't even know that that came from the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? which is a phrase that's, that's lived on into the world. It's, it's sort of this, I mean, this isn't my responsibility. And then the Lord asks this question. He says, what have you done? What have you done? Which this is a really important question. It's a question that's relevant for you and for me. And so what has he done? I mean, literally he's killed his brother, but functionally, instead of choosing to make a more favorable sacrifice, which was an option for Cain, by the way, it's not like he's completely out of favor with God forever. It's like, you can, you can change, you can course correct, you can begin to make the right sacrifices, favorable sacrifices, but Cain decides not to do that. Instead of doing that, he attacks and he eliminates the thing that represents the ideal that's judging him, and he destroys the judge because he resents it. We do this too. I mean, maybe not murder, but when we see someone or are compared to someone who's a more ideal, whatever it is, than we are, we do our very best to discredit or to eliminate the judge. It's like, oh, wow, Tina, Tina's husband, yeah, he's thoughtful. He's, he's, he's a really amazing guy. Too too bad he's ugly. And he doesn't make much money. And have you seen the car he bought for her? I mean, it's terrible. And he's a crappy golfer, too. I mean... I mean, come on, you don't want to be married to Tina's husband. I mean, do you? I mean, I, I mean, I think you got it pretty good the way you are. I mean, it's, things are pretty good here, aren't they? I mean, this is what we do. And, you know, I sort of ingest, but the truth is, is it's easier to destroy or to tear down the thing we're being judged against than it is to pursue it, than it is to humble ourselves and stretch toward it and to prioritize it and, and, if that's all there was to this story, that's more than enough. It's more than enough for us today. But most people don't know what happens next in the story. In fact, most church people, people have been around church their whole life, I mean, because the second part of the story is not what gets highlighted, but the second part of the story is the most important part of the story. God comes back and he says, listen, your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground, which is, that sound, that's just a haunting phrase in general. He says, now, look, you're under a curse, And you're driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. And you will be a restless wanderer on earth. Now, as haunting as that language is, I actually read that and I go, wait, what? I think he's letting him go. Like, I mean, it seems like Cain's getting away with it. I mean, is anybody with me? I mean, just, just think about it for a second. He's killed his brother, and he basically just lost his job. That's it. I mean, really? I mean, okay, just all-powerful God. That's how you're going to deal with this situation? I mean, is anybody with me? I mean, maybe I'm the only crazy one. Anybody here? I mean, by show of hands, at all of our locations, wherever you are, this is important. Is anybody else think Cain deserves a harsher punishment than losing his job? Anybody with me? Raise your hands real high. Okay, I want you to look around. Raise your hand. No, keep your hands up. If people don't have their hands up, you should be suspicious of those people. <laughs> Cain killed his brother, people. But look what Cain says. Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear, which is like what me and my brother used to say to my mom when she would deliver the discipline in our household that did not bother our backside whatsoever because we didn't want judgment from our dad. Like, it's like, oh no, it's more than I can bear because I don't want any more, but this is really not that big a deal. You know, it's like, that's what I would expect him to say. He goes on, he goes, today, You are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Okay, maybe God's a little smarter than I thought he was. And justice will be served. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over by my hand. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now, I struggled with this for a long time. I've thought about this for a long time, and and I read and I listened to a lot about this. Why, Why would God do that? Why would God protect Cain? And the best I can tell is it's because of God's grace. Yeah, his grace for Cain, but more than that, I think even more. Yes, it's extraordinary grace towards Cain, but I think even more than that, it's towards those who would want to take up the the cause of Abel. It's Abel's family who would be tempted towards retribution. I want you to think about this for a minute. I mean, this is this is this is way more relevant for us: murder or 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 injustice, or when people are discriminated against, or people are hurt. It it. it provokes and promotes revenge, doesn't it? It, it, it causes us to want to do something to, to get back at or to avenge the people that we love. And, and Abel has a family, and he has descendants. We know this. And, and, and they're going to be tempted to go after Cain. I mean, that's just, that's natural, and that's normal in the broken, fallen world that we live in. But tolerance for retribution, it destroys societies. When anybody and everybody can take justice into their own hands, it destroys people and it destroys society. Playing judge and taking justice into their own hands just makes Abel's family just like Cain. God doesn't want that for them. See, the role of a just judge is too much for any one of us to bear. That's why in our societies we have juries and even in that, if you ask people who've been on a jury, if they've been in a, in a, in a really difficult trial or a murder trial or something where you're to determine somebody's future and, and the justice for somebody else, and you're not sure what the, what the answers are. If you ever talk to somebody in those situations, I mean, you, you wrestle and you struggle and you lose sleep and, and you can't eat. I mean, these are difficult things. It's because we weren't designed for that. You weren't, you weren't designed to be a just and a final judge of anything. And we're not good at it anyway, right? How many times have you prejudged or misjudged somebody or something unjustly? I mean, just just last week, my two boys, we have bigs and littles, we have teenagers, and we have two little guys, our nine and seven-year-old, and the nine and seven-year-old coming running in the room, and I heard them fighting in the other room, they come running in, the seven-year-old's crying, the nine-year-old's running behind him to make sure he tells the right story, and the seven-year-old comes in, the provoker, I'll call him, he comes running in, and I've seen this a thousand times before, I know exactly what's happening, so before he even starts, I just jump in and I go, tell me. What did you do to your brother? I know you did something, you know, I, and I just, I just go off and I let him have it. And my nine-year-old goes, no, 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 that's actually not what happened, dad. I started it. And I'm like, I am not worthy to be your dad. <laughs> and so I, I started apologizing to my seven-year-old. And the truth is, is we're not good at this. We're quick to judge. We're, we're, we, we, we judge incorrectly. We misjudge. So here's the thing. God puts an end to this right away. He, 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 despite Cain's appalling crime against his brother, no one's going to rec- uh, to seek retribution against Cain or else. Nobody can do that. And and then this is the, the strange part. We don't have time to look into this today, but, but the strange part of the way that this part of the story ends is, is Cain, on brand, by the way, he continues sinning and he decides he's going to continue to act as if he's God, which again is the, the same sin as in the gardens, the first sin. And if God's gonna avenge him seven times, he's gonna avenge his kids seven times because he's like, this isn't gonna end with me. And Abel's kids might take, uh, take retribution against my kids. And so if somebody touches one of my kids, I'm gonna avenge them seven times. And my grandkids, I'm gonna avenge them 77 times. And it spirals. And all the way down the line, generations later, comes Tubal Cain, which is a descendant of Cain. And he's created. He's, he's credited with creating weapons of war. And things are out of control and destructive in this lineage of this family. And, and the next story in the scriptures. Anybody know the next story in the scriptures? People get nervous when I, when I kind of like give uh, Bible quizzes in church. But you know, it's not a bad thing. We used to do that all the time in church. Like the preacher would wait for the answer. Like I'm kind of stalling right now. But I'm giving you a, a really... I'm giving you a really big clue right here. Like anybody know the next story that happens in the scriptures? Nobody. The flood. And it's by no coincidence, by the way. This is, this, think about this. This is mind-blowing to me. This is an archetype for everything that happens after the fall. Do you know this? Like this in the first few chapters of the Bible, the ideal is created in the garden. The ideal is, is created, you know, you, re, you remember this part, the tree in the garden, the, there's the ideal world that Adam and Eve are in, and, and then they sin against God, and, and they're cast out of the garden, and the ideal is lost, and things are not right in the world, things are not going well in the world, and there's, there's two paths, there's two options for how you can live, you know, it's not like, it's not like there's only one way to live, there's, there's two sort of separated paths for how you can live life. And you can either choose to live and, and make the right sacrifices and, and live one way that's favorable, or you can choose to live another way, and it's, it's not favorable, and it's not going to go well for you. And in the end, there is judgment for this. I mean, this is just the first few chapters. Just, just really quick, and this is a side note. I, I, I try to make a case as much as I can. This thing is brilliant Do you know what we hold in our hands? From from a sociological and psychological perspective, the story, this book, just the first few chapters is inconceivably brilliant, and we take it for granted. In just the first few chapters, you don't even have to read far. You find the meta-narrative for all of human history, how to live, how not to live. We said in week one, Jesus came to show us that. He shows up as a rabbi. He says, follow me. I'm gonna show you how to live. And, and we said in week one of, of the fundamentalists that Jesus is God's son and he's our king and he's the ruler and he's, he's gonna have the final judgment. He's God's final king and he gets the final say. In fact, he tells us in John chapter five, he says, the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son. And when we think of final judgment, I mean, this is, this is fun to talk about. It kind of makes people nervous. But when we think of final judgment, what, what everybody wants to hear about is, hey, what's going to happen in the end? Like, how are people going to be judged? And who's going to actually get to show up and go to the pearly gates? And who isn't? And when is that going to happen? And how is that going to happen? And we use big church words like eschatology and 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 rapture and like what what's going to happen in the end and i'm not making fun like like those are those are all important things and 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 key things that the bible talks about the problem is 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 none of that is actually really clear as to what happens in the end but but preachers like me oftentimes they use things like you know stories in the scripture and people are like somebody's like things are off the rails wait till Andy gets back like what are we talking about but like we we use things like this to like scare people like scare people into things to literally like scare the hell out of people and scare people into other things and it's like that's what we want to do and and, and, and again the, jesus promises judgment and he the details and the sequence are honestly aren't clear and it is clear that there will be a judgment in the end and and the things of the kingdom of heaven and the things that are of from the enemy the things that are of hell will be separated but, but we, don't, we, don't, we don't know the details. We don't know when this will happen and how and for how long and, and, and those are all things that are non-essential that we get fixated on. Here's what is on the fundamental list. What is on the fundamental list is that Jesus, he promises justice in the end and he invites us to trust him in the meantime. Jesus promises justice In the end, justice will be served. All will be made right. And in the meantime, in the meantime, he says, Will you trust me? Will you trust me for how to live this life? How the proper way to to live out. Being my follower in this world, in a broken world, the best way, the best possible way for things to go well for you, to go, things to go favorably for you. And we're to live in light of this promise. You see, this, this same temptation that existed with the first humans, this is, this is gonna be one of my most fun drawings. It's gonna be a, a hard one, but the same temptation that existed in the beginning um, still exists in the world. I mean, we, we, we think of the stories of the Bible as these old Bible stories, and they're archaic, and, I mean, is, did any of that stuff really happen? And, you know, we saw it on a flannel graph, and now somebody's drawing it on a chalkboard, and that's all a little bit strange. But, but you know, we hear these stories in the Scriptures, and, and we wonder, like, does that really exist, and does that really matter, and does that really relate to me? But the truth is, is there's still an enemy, and there's an enemy that's, that's tempting us. And, and he's tempting us to put ourselves first, to put yourself first in every situation, to not trust Christ in the way he's asked you to live and the way he's encouraged us to live our lives. And, and he's asking you to, to trust him. Jesus asked you to trust him, but there's also an enemy that he's come. And Jesus said he's come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the truth is, is... is When we trust Jesus and and we choose to live our lives one way, we actually bring the favor of heaven down into our lives. And you know this, you bring good things. When you follow the way of Jesus, it, it, things go well for you and, and they go well for people around you. But we also have done this. A lot of us have brought hell up into our lives by making the choices we've had and, and by no other fault of anybody but ourselves. And in some cases, you've, been, you've experienced the fault of other people's decisions, but many of us have have experienced bringing hellish things and circumstances up into our own lives and into our relationships because the way we've lived, and you know this, and you've seen it. Some of you have experienced this, that trusting Jesus to be the final judge and bring ultimate justice is choosing to follow his way in the world, choosing to follow the way he taught us to live. And in fact, Jesus taught us all sorts of things. He taught us not to return evil for evil. He taught us to turn the other cheek. He taught us to be generous. He taught us to go the extra mile, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to put others first, to live for later as if we really believe that he's going to bring justice and that there is eternal ideal waiting for us one day. See, trusting him to bring justice to all things is not doing nothing There's all sorts of things he's taught us about how to live our lives. But, as Apostle Paul tells us, we must all stand before Christ to be judged one day. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. This isn't to torture, to torment, or to terrify anybody. It's to encourage us, to provide hope. Nobody gets away with anything. Everyone will give an account which at this point, this is where people try to scare people. The truth is, is as Christians, for eternal salvation, we're going to be judged on the basis of Christ. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about next week in part five. It's all about that. But the truth is, we will still all give an account for how we've sacrificed and prioritized and followed and chose to trust him in the meantime. Each one of us. Well, give an account. Recently, i I went through a really difficult thing, and it wasn't, you know, very public. It's it's actually a really personal thing, and um, I had a friend. I had, had a good friend that I, I trusted, and I years ago invited him into a circle of friends, and it's a circle of friends uh, with people that I trust, and we share things with, and and in that group we have meaningful discussions about how to how to lead church. A group of pastors, and and um. And uh this friend decided to betray the confidence of the group, particularly to betray me, because I invited him into the group. And it cost another friend of mine significantly. Like all sorts of terrible things were said about this person. And I I, I was mad. Because I feel like, hey, I, I brought you into this group, and and now your decisions are hurting somebody I care about and somebody I love. And it consumed me for weeks. Some of you have experienced things like this. In fact, it, it bothered me more than the person that he targeted. It, 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 it just consumed me. I, I actually, full confession, I didn't plan to tell you this, but I, I drafted several posts. I was ready to go public. I was gonna go after this person. And like, I got enough followers. Like people are gonna, people are gonna know. Like I'm, a, I'm gonna take this on. And then I was reminded. He's gonna give an account. But so will I. And it's not mine to judge. I'm not a just judge. I don't deliver justice rightly. This is important. You don't hear anything else? You will not be rewarded. We will not be rewarded for how well we judge other people. But we've gotten good at it as Christians, haven't we? You're not gonna be rewarded for that. Only the one who made the ultimate sacrifice has earned that right. You see, when God's final king came into the world and he decided to come and deliver his justice, which is which is extraordinary. He came into the world and he said he came to serve. And he came into the world, he said, I'm a shepherd and I'm the good shepherd. And instead of exacting his justice, he delayed it. He chose to delay his justice and he delayed his justice so that everyone who hadn't lived properly, who hadn't made the right sacrifices, who hadn't made the right decisions, who hadn't lived perfectly, who hadn't experienced the things of heaven that could go well for them and favorably for them in life that have pulled hell up into their lives. Those people, those people would have the opportunity to turn to him and receive his sacrifice. And he called himself the good shepherd who came to lay his life down For his sheep. And in doing so, he earned the right to be trusted. Fundamental list number four: Jesus promised justice in the end, and he invites us to trust him in the meantime. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that we get this one. Oh man, we need this so bad. We need to remember this. So many people in the world who have been pushed away or reevaluating or, or walking away from their faith because how they've been judged by people who are supposed to represent you. And Jesus, the way that you wanted us to represent you is through our sacrifice, through love, through love, showing itself, expressing itself in the way we sacrifice for other people, the way we put others, people first, the way we prioritize you and your way in our lives. We're grateful that your ultimate final judgment of us is secure with us because you judge us by the sacrifice of Christ. But for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I pray that we would wake up to the fact that we will still give an account of how we live our lives. One day we will stand before a judge. And I pray that that wouldn't cause us to shrink back in fear, but it would motivate and inspire us to stretch to the best of our ability. We won't be perfect, but to stretch the best of our ability towards the ideal. And wanna look forward to and live toward that day when you return and you make every wrong right, and you set everything in its right place, and you separate all the terrible things from the way you designed things to be so we could experience life the way it ought to be. Until then, inspire us, motivate us, help us to make the right sacrifices as we follow you, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.